Glad you're here this morning. Maybe you got this when you walked in the door, and maybe you didn't. I hope you did, at least one per family. This is called the Grief Share brochure. I'm going to ask you to do me a very big favor. Every one of you are here this morning. Would you take this? If you didn't get one, there's some more out there in in the entryway. Would you be a missionary for me? There is someone in your life, someone you know, aunt, grandparent, mom, dad, child, uh, a friend that has lost a loved one, that, uh, and they're in grief. And we have a wonderful grief share ministry here. It starts September 10th on Tuesday nights. Would you be the missionary and call that person or go take that brochure and hand it to them and say, hey, why don't you go to grief share and uh, become a part of that ministry? hope you'll do that. Thank you for being a missionary for us. You are the hands and feet and body of Christ. You know that, don't you? Well, we're in the last roundup. And what I mean by that is we're in Colossians chapter 4. It's uh, verses 7 to 18 this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to take uh, that out with me uh, and join me in that. We're talking about moving this morning from isolation into community. From isolation into into community. We've had a joyous time this summer going through the book of Colossians. We learned in Colossians chapter 1 that uh, we're called to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May I ask you a question? Are you doing that? I'll read it again. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And why should we do that? Because the Apostle Paul impresses in chapter 1 the preeminence of Christ, the greatness and the glory and the majesty of the Lord Jesus. There's no, no one like Him. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn from the dead. He's the one that didn't regard equality with God, Philippians records for us, but He let go. He released Himself and came down here to be one of us. That in everything, He might be preeminent in your life and my life. And He came here so that you and I could be in right relationship with the living God, the Father in heaven, to reconcile us through His blood shed on the cross so that we can have the peace by the blood of His cross that passes all understanding. And we learned in chapter 2 and chapter 3 that we need to look at our own selves in light of all of that. How are we living each day? It says in chapter 3, put off the old self and put on the new self in Christ. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. We're to be changed people. Pastor Steve uh, preached last week on prayer in the beginning of chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray, Paul says, for all of us to have an open door for the mystery of Christ. Are you praying for us as a body to have an open door for Christ in people's lives? Well, I want to talk to you this morning at the end of chapter 4, starting in verse 7 about moving from isolation, which many of us will find ourselves, if we're honest, moving from isolation into community. Here at the Open Door Church, we stress much, we emphasize, get into a life group. 
Get into children's ministry. Get into youth ministry. Get into the recovery church that's starting in a couple of weeks here, as well as other ministries. We even challenge you to understand that struggling alone in isolation is completely unnecessary. You don't have to be alone. You don't. Our foundational belief, our priority here in this ministry, our purpose is to help you have community and relationship with one another through the fact that we have a relationship, first of all, with the Lord Jesus Christ. My mantra as the pastor of Care Ministries has been, no one struggles alone at the Open Door Christian Church. If you're struggling alone in isolation, It's because you haven't informed us that you need something. You need some help, some prayer, someone to come alongside of you. Jesus came as a gift. And he came to give us a gift. It's called the body of Christ, the church. And it's so precious. It's a community. It's a local church. It's a place to come, a place to find help, a place to find support in your life. It's a place to be loved. And encouraged. I tell you, my heart filled with love in these last moments as I watched all of you come down the aisle to partake in community, uh, communion with each other, in community with one another. Place where we'll speak the, church, the truth, I'm sorry, to each other, even when it's difficult and we help each other. Well, you might ask, Rich, what's isolation? What is it? Well, let me give you a couple definitions. Let me talk to you about good isolation. And bad isolation. Let me talk to you about healthy isolation and unhealthy isolation. Isolation is being without relationship to other people or things. Being separated from other folks. Being emotionally removed from the community. May I suggest to you today that there is good and healthy isolation. And we have to be aware of that and take advantage of it. And there is bad and unhealthy isolation, which we also have to be aware of, and avoid. Well, let me talk about the good and healthy isolation first. I am going to get to the text, believe me. Hang on with me. There's a purpose in all of this. The science community uses isolation to separate out things like microorganisms and genes and hormones and things like that. Why? Each for the purpose of discovery of new possibilities and developing new drugs and things like that. Cures, for example. It's good at isolation. Hospitals use isolation to stop the spreading of contagious diseases. A couple of weeks ago, I went to visit someone in the hospital. There was a sign on the door. Don't enter unless you gown up and glove up and put a mask on which I did to visit that person. It was good isolation to stop the spread of contamination from whatever was going on in that person's life. Healthy isolation. Here's one we may not consider, but we should. We need to. It's time alone to hear God speak to us about what's going on in life. Time alone to hear God speak and for you and me to process life. It's good isolation. Those are good isolation. What about bad, unhealthy isolation? Well, how about emotional isolation? That can be a bad isolation. Unable or unwilling to share your feelings with other people. 
Depression. We don't talk about it in the church. Shame on us. We need to more. Depression and anxiety disorders causes isolation in unbelievable proportions among the adult population in this country alone. 17 million adults in the United States have experienced a major depressive disorder episode in the past year. 11 million adults. It was so severe it was an impairment that kept them from functioning in their lives. Three million young adults between the ages of 12 and 17 have experienced at least one major depressive episode in this past year. That's emotional isolation. We're inward. We're locked in to something that's going on with us. And there's social isolation that can be bad and unhealthy. An absence of social relationships, avoidance tendencies, extended periods of time alone, fears of abandonment. I read an amazing study this week. It's called the CIGNA, C-I-G-N-A, Survey of American Adults in 2018. You know what it claims? It claims in that survey that loneliness has reached epidemic levels across all age groups in the United States. 43%, I'm quoting the survey, 43% of Americans report they often feel isolated from others. 47% do not have meaningful in-person social interactions such as family time on a daily basis. And here comes a big one. Generation Z, ages 18 to 22, is currently, according to this survey, the loneliest generation in the study, followed by people in their senior years over the age of 65. I believe that to be very true. Do you know what else is a social isolation? Social media. See, we've been sold a bill of goods that promised us that if we just get more connected on social media, be on Facebook, be on Snapchat, be on uh, the other stuff. I can't remember them all. (laughs) I have one. I can't even think about it. Get on it. And you know what? The opposite has been proven true. The most frequent users, I'm still quoting the survey from this week, The most frequent users of social media were three times as likely to feel isolated as the least frequent users. Social media is definitely a factor in loneliness when it replaces in-person connections. I'll give you a demonstration. Yesterday, Karen and I were in Stillwater, Minnesota. I'm an observer. She's in the store. I'm sitting out on the sidewalk, and I love to watch people. It's just what I do for a living. And I saw this couple across the street, young couple, coming down the street, and she's just walking along, enjoying the day, enjoying the scenery. You know what her husband was doing instead of enjoying her, enjoying the scenery? He was going... Social media even comes into your marriage relationship and your parent-child relationship. And when you sit at the supper table, I'm going off dialogue here, but I'm going to do it. 
where you sit at the dinner table and social media is more important than your conversation with each other, isolation is happening. Face it. Confront it. Make a decision to put it away. I want to suggest to you this morning in the text in Colossians that illustrates how much we need each other. That's what we're talking about. Moving from isolation to moving to community with one another. We certainly, first of all, need faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we say this every Sunday. Have you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus? Have you repented of your sin and asked Him to be Savior and first in your life? And if you've done that, are you following Him? When Jesus says, come follow me, He's talking and inviting you into a relationship of a lifetime with Him. It's a glorious relationship. It's so worth it. And if it's not worth it to you, you're missing something so valuable. It's eternity. And eternity's work in your life as the Holy Spirit wants to work in you and through you in the lives of others. That's why we need that relationship with Jesus. And when someone like uh, someone separates out from themselves, from being actively engaged in the local body of Christ. Remember, we're the bride. Jesus is the bridegroom. He came to this earth to make us His bride. He He went to the cross and rose from the dead so that we could become children of God, the bride of Christ, the body, the church. You are a part in faith of the body, the church of Jesus Christ. Paul's, or I'm sorry, the writer to Hebrews was so adamant about that, he said this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Here it comes. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. See, I just told you to go out as a missionary and stir someone up about Griefshire. Could I ask you this morning to do what Hebrews said? Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, I'm quoting Scripture, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day return of the Lord Jesus drawing near. That's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. That's God speaking to you and to me about the importance of the body of Christ. I hope you're getting stirred up this morning to realize that maybe priorities might be out of sync. Maybe some things in life need an adjustment. Well, in these 12 verses this morning, the Apostle Paul talks about 10 very, very significant Christian brothers and a Christian sister who he feels very, very deeply about and feels toward them and connected to them. Tychicus in verses 7 and 8. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. Remember, Paul's in Rome. He's in prison. He's in chains and bondage. He's not going anywhere. He's under guard. And he's got these group of people around him. But he's written this letter to the church in Colossae a long ways away who he loves and cares for, even though he's never seen them face to face. He loves these people in Colossae. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities, verse 7. He's the beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus will tell you all my activities. But more important than that, when he comes, he's going to be an encouragement in your heart. 
Are you an encouragement to somebody's heart in the body of Christ? Do you get your arm around somebody and love on them? Do you get your arm around them and pray over them when you know they're struggling? Tychicus, when he comes, he may encourage your heart. Verse 9, And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. You know who Onesimus was? He was a slave who'd stolen from his master named Philemon, who was in the Colossian church. And Onesimus, he was a poor guy, poor, 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 unwealthy. He had no money. And he stole from his master, and he ran away, and he ran all the way to Rome. And when he got to Rome, most likely he got arrested, and they put him in prison. And who did he end up beside? The Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul shared the gospel, the love of Christ for Onesimus. And he became a dear brother to the Apostle Paul. And now Paul is telling the church at Colossae who, uh, to take him back. Paul is sending Onesimus back home to the church who needed him. And the church that he needed to thrive in relationship with other believers. Receive him back as you would receive me. He would tell Philemon, the master in verse 17 of Philemon. He was a faithful and beloved brother. Are you? And me? Are we faithful and beloved brothers? Are we encouragers? Do you need the church? And do I need the church? Yes. Do we need each other? Yes. You have what I don't have. I need you. I have what you don't have. I need you. And you need me. Verse 10, Aristarchus. My fellow prisoner greets you. And I'm just going to read the next part. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. I thought this week, well, big deal. No, it is a big deal. Ask this question. I love questions. Questions help me get clarification. Why would anyone send his greetings back to the church at Colossae if they thought they didn't need each other. Why? Aristarchus knew that he needed the Colossian believers, and he said to Paul, Paul, in your letter, would you tell them that I'm greeting them from Rome here in prison? And by the way, it's believed... Well, let me say this first. You know how much Aristarchus believed in relationship, how important it was to him? It's written in history, it's believed that he literally gave himself to the Apostle Paul as a slave. He indentured himself to the Apostle Paul so that Aristarchus could go to prison and be imprisoned alongside of Paul and be there as a brother in the Lord, suffering along with him. That's sacrificial relationship, but that's the body of Christ at work, one needing the other. And Mark... Barnabas' cousin sends greetings, and if he comes to you, welcome him. This is the same Mark who deserted Jesus on the eve of the crucifixion, ran away naked out of the Garden of Gethsemane when the the, uh, soldiers came. This is the same Mark who deserted Paul and Barnabas in the middle of a ministry or a missions trip. And yet through the restoring power of the gospel, we see him now intimately involved in Paul's circle of relationships in the church. This is the Mark who would go on to write 
the Gospel of Mark that we read so often. Listen, I think there's something to be learned here. Don't ever think that you've done so much wrong in your life, so much damage that you can never be accepted into the church. That's not God and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit telling you that. That's Satan telling you that. That's yourself telling you that. Maybe you've been wandering. Maybe you've been staying away from the church. I want to plead with you this morning. Take a step of faith and come back. I mean, really come back. Get involved. Maybe somebody in the church has hurt you. I'm sorry for that. And on behalf of the Lord Jesus, I beg you forgiveness for that. Will you let that go? Will you not hold that against that person? Maybe somebody's hurt you, but don't let that stop you. Don't let that stop you from experiencing the sweetness of the fellowship that we are called to and God has made possible through His Son Jesus' death and burial and resurrection that we can have with each other. Paul believes so much in this restoration and reconciliation of relationships. He said back in chapter 3, Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I'll volunteer. I will volunteer Pastor Patrick, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Steve, and Ryan Block. We are here to help you. If you have broken relationships in the church, come see one of us. We're here to help you reconcile those relationships and get you up and out of that into the sweetness of the fellowship of the body. Don't stay there. Jesus died to set you free. And he rose again to set you free. And he, he washed his blood over us in, in favor of faith so that we can be free and free indeed. Paphras. I'm going to skip over justice. There's nothing to say about him. He just sends his greetings. Verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you. This guy's really something. I'd like to know this dude. A servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. This guy was completely sold out for the local church in Colossae. He was assured in the will of God that his prayers were for them. He was praying, praying, praying for them. As a matter of fact, chapter 1, verse 7 says, Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's made known to us your love in the Spirit. Boy, would I like to know that guy. We need people like that in our lives. And then there's Luke in verse 14. The beloved physician greets you. This is the doctor, the physician, always at Paul's side, always ministering to his hurts, always attending to his needs. The same Luke who wrote the book of uh, Luke and the, the Gospel of uh, Luke and the book of Acts. Demas, Philemon 124, a fellow laborer who later, later deserted Paul. Demas, Paul said, because Demas loved this present world. You see, Demas was there with Paul. He was in the bride of Christ, the church. He was in the body, but something was going on inside of him. 
And he was more in love with what was going on in the world than he was with his Lord and Savior Jesus. Second Timothy 4.10 says he loved this present world and he left the group later on. Then there's Nympha. To the to verse 15, to Nympha and the church in her house, a believer who opened her home to other believers so that they could gather together in relationship. Have you opened your home lately to another person or family or individual? Have you practiced and are you practicing hospitality? And then lastly, Archippus, verse 17. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. See, he had gifts that the church needed. Friends, you have gifts that the church needs. We need each other. I have gifts that you need. We all need each other. No one's a hand or a foot by themselves. We need the completeness of the whole body of Christ. Well, all this to communicate this message to you this morning. If you treat your relationships in the church as an add-on, Instead of a priority, you're missing the boat, folks. You're lacking the beauty of what God has sent His Son to the cross and brought Him up out of the grave in resurrection victory for. Relationships are to be tied together by His death, His burial, and His resurrection. So I have a couple of questions for you as we bring this to a close. Are you committed to gathering with the local church? Or is it an add-on to your life? That's eh, Sunday. Should I go boating? Should I go play some golf? Should I go fishing? Should we go see somebody? Or should I go to church? Is it an add-on or a priority for your life? Number two, church, by the way, before I say number two, church should not be an add-on, another thing to do. It ought to be the great joy and priority that you can't wait to get to worship and be together with other brothers and sisters in the church. And question number two is the final. Parents, this is to you. I'm absolutely serious about this. I've raised three kids. We're raising 11 grandchildren, ages 22 down to 7. And I'm watching, praying, watching, and praying. And this is what I ask of you. Your children's souls. Your children's and your grandchildren's souls are on the line here. Rethink your priorities of where you invest their time first. I know athletics is important. I know dance is important. I know music and the arts is important. But you know what? There's something more important, and that's their eternal destiny, their relationship with the living God. And if you don't choose church first, they aren't going to give two cents about this thing we call a relationship with Jesus. Because it's here in the church where they see that worked out, that relationship with Jesus, every time we gather together. We love on each other and care for each other. And we love being together. And we put our arms around and hug each other. Please, please reprioritize the choices you make with your children. And put the Lord Jesus first. And the second, the gathering of the fellowship of believers in the body of Christ. Worship team, come on up. Are you with me? Would you stand, please?
kind of feel like I've laid it all out today. But I've laid it all out because I love you. And I want you to experience the love of Christ who's laid it all out for you. But you and I have to take hold of that and learn to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that includes our priorities with each other. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, God, that you love us to the depth that you do. It's hard for us even sometimes to get around the depth of the love that you've poured out for us. We talk about the cross. We talk about the blood that was shed. We, talked about, we talk about the renewal that comes when we repent of our sin and that blood washes us clean. We talk about the fact that the tomb is empty and you raised your son Jesus from the dead and he now sits at your right hand. And we talk about the fact that you've said in your word, Father, that because of all of that, we have the same power available to us to live in this world and to thrive in the glory of your name. And we're grateful for that. But God, sometimes we just don't get it. So my prayer is this morning, help us to get it. Help us to understand. Help us to love it. Help us to walk in it. Because we love you first. And we fulfill that commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. We pray. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us here this morning for this time of worship. And now as we give our gifts and tithes, Lord, we thank you that we can worship you by doing that. It's a privilege. Just such a privilege to give back to you, Father, because you are worthy, O God, to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.